I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from all. Protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The next verse is Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Thank you, Steph. It's a phenomenal psalm, isn't it? And um, I'm not going to preach from that. I'm going to preach from those two verses, but I think it might be something that you come back to if what I speak about today kind of touches you. You might want to go back and read that psalm a little bit later. At the end of 2022, I uh, visited Israel and Palestine, which seems like a crazy thing now to say. Um, and when I was there, uh, the group I was with, we went to visit a church called the Church of the Beatitudes. It's near the Sea of Galilee, quite close to the town of Capernaum. And people go and visit there because they believe that this is where Jesus preached this Sermon on the Mount that we are reading through all the way up until Easter. And this place, it's, it's not really a huge mountain. It's more like a big hill, a giant hill. And on one side, there's a sort of slope that extends out into a kind of plain or flat area. It looks almost like a natural amphitheater. And so the group I was with, we sat there, we read some of the Sermon on the Mount, and we just imagined what it was like. And I want you to imagine the people coming to see, hear Jesus speak coming and sitting down and Jesus finding the space, the spot 
where he was going to talk and everyone could hear him. The people who came to Jesus that day, they'd heard about him, that he was most likely God's promised king. And they're hoping that he's bringing change and renewal for their lives and for the world. They're eager to hear him and he starts like this. He says, blessed are these kinds of people. Or another way that people translate it is, I've got great news for you, wonderful news for these kinds of people. Wonderful news, Jesus says, if you are spiritually poor. Wonderful news if you are mourning or humble or if you are hungering for the world to be put right. Jesus said, wonderful news. You are blessed because God is going to be your comforter. You are his children. You're going to inherit the earth. Your hunger will be satisfied. Wonderful news. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And Jesus is promising not just something for the future, although it is about the future. What he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is here right now with me. How do you think the crowd would have reacted on that day as they heard these words? I reckon they kind of might have gone wild right at the start, you know? When someone opens the concert with your, the best song, yes, you know, and what about us when we hear this? Is this good news for people like you and me? I wonder if you've ever felt like you have to have your life all together, that you need to be in a good space to be part of God's plan in this world. I wonder if you've ever thought about your life circumstances, your level of success, your net worth, your popularity, your relationship status, and thought, does this say something about the way God thinks about me and how much I matter to him? Wonderful news, Jesus says. None of that matters. The kingdom of heaven is for people who look at themselves and look at the world and know that they need God to break in, to draw near, to hold them and to heal them, to transform this place. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, come as you are. Come as you are, honestly and humbly, and you're going to discover that God is near to you. It is actually crazy, wonderful news. And we go on today. We've got these next two verses. Jesus starts, he says, Blessed are the merciful, he says now, for they will receive mercy. Now, this is not a kind of case of you do good and good will happen to you. It's not karma. This is following on from those four come-as-you-are statements. Because when we come to God in humility, he pours out his mercy, his forgiveness on us, his comfort, his kindness. This is the good news. His mercy comes first and ours comes second as we experience it. The more we follow Jesus, the more we experience his mercy, the more we want to extend it. So God's mercy first, ours comes second, and Jesus promises more will follow. Mercy upon mercy. It's this virtuous cycle. When I was um, parenting young kids, I learned something from my sister and her husband. 
they really wanted, they had three little boys, active little boys, and they really wanted them to understand how mercy works. So when one of the kids hurt, hurt one of the others, they would ask the first child to say sorry. Now, this is common. All the playgrounds around Australia are full of parents trying to get their kids to say sorry to someone else. Is that right? And what happens when they finally say sorry, we all go, wow, phew, and go, that's okay, let's move on, that's great. What my sister and her husband did was, not only did they ask the first child to say sorry, they asked the one who'd been hurt to look at the other child and to say, I forgive you. Which is also extremely hard. (laughs) Okay, forgiveness is not easy. But to express forgiveness to someone who is truly sorry is an extremely powerful act, isn't it? The restoration of a broken relationship takes two. And in relationships where we learn that our mistakes will be readily forgiven, our pride starts to drop away, doesn't it? And the sorry comes easily. And the forgiveness comes easily too. It's so good to be forgiven by someone who loves you. And this is the good news that Jesus has too, that God loves us so much that whenever we turn to him, he is ready to forgive us when we say sorry. Forgiveness is only one part of what it means to be merciful, though. And um, I'll learn something else from my sister and her kids. This one's a bit funnier, I think. Uh, They taught their kids to cry, have mercy, when they were roughhoused at playing. So you can imagine the three boys on the floor, wrestling, tickling each other. And if it was too much for you, you had to cry, have mercy. And the rule was, if someone cries, have mercy, and you've squashed them into the floor then you have to release them, okay? And of course, it's the youngest child who's constantly crying, have mercy, have mercy. And that is how it is in the world too, isn't it? The more power or strength or resources we have, the more opportunity we have to give of ourselves, our time, our energy, our money, to have mercy on those who need it. This is a kingdom of heaven choice to use power to serve instead of preserving our own self and interests. So a merciful person lifts others up. A merciful person helps someone in need. And this looks like all kinds of things. It looks like practical help, like when you take a meal to someone or walk their dog or clean their house because they're sick or they're low in capacity. Sometimes it looks like emotional support, just sitting with someone or praying with someone or offering friendship, or inviting someone into your friendship group when someone else is lonely. It's the community meal we have here once a month. It's raising financial support for communities in need elsewhere. Our kids at Clifton Hill raised money last year for Kenya in the drought. Can you imagine if the dynamic at play in our world was the mercy dynamic? Imagine the big problems and the small problems, if the powerful person had mercy. That would really be heaven on earth. This is what Jesus says is coming into our world. So as we come and experience the mercy and goodness of God, we ourselves become the merciful ones. And the next line that Jesus says works a bit like that too. Blessed are the pure in heart, he says, for they will see God. 
when you hear pure in heart, I wonder what you think. I think mostly we think it's the pure in heart must be the good people, people who are doing all the good things. And, um, you know, those external acts might come out of purity in heart, but purity in heart is actually about what's going on inside a person. When Jesus talks about our hearts, he always is talking about what drives us, the desires and fears that are motivating our actions and our lives. And sometimes that's really complicated, isn't it? Most of us find we're torn between serving God and seeking our own ease or good. But the pure in heart are singularly focused on glorifying God with their life. Their love and devotion to him is primary, whether it brings comfort or trouble. I wonder if you've seen that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. It's a little bit old now. It's got Will Smith before he was cancelled. And it's set in the 80s in San Francisco, and it's based on the true story um, about a guy called Chris Gardner. Now, Chris had a wife and a young child, and he was in medical school. So he dropped out of medical school to support them, and he invested all his life savings into medical supplies. He was going to become a salesman. But nobody wanted his supplies, right? So his wife started to work double shifts, and they used really cheap childcare. And Chris kept trying to sell this medical equipment. But the bills and the rent and the taxes were still not paid. So what should he do? He and his wife decide he needs to get rid of that stuff as fast as possible and find another job so he can pay the rent. But one day, Chris is walking along the road and a man drives up beside him in a red Ferrari and gets out. And Chris thinks, I want that. So he says to the guy, what do you do for work? He says, I'm a stockbroker. And Chris thinks, I'm going to become a stockbroker. He has this new goal. His goal is not to just move on to another job to pay the bills and live the same kind of life that he's been living, but to become really wealthy and to provide a whole different kind of life for himself and his family. And he really wants a red Ferrari. So he starts pursuing his dream, and he does quite well at first. He gets an internship into a significant firm to become a stockbroker. But then he discovers that the internship isn't paid, and secondly, that there are 24 interns and only one of them is going to get a job at the end. Well, what should he do? Get another job, his wife begs him. But he has no higher education, and he knows he's never going to get another job that will get him the red Ferrari. So he takes the internship. And his wife leaves him. And eventually, he and his young son become homeless. But he perseveres. He works harder than any other intern, and he does it in less hours because he has to leave early so he can pick his kid up from childcare and line up at the shelter to make sure they get a room for the night every day. Then he studies late and keeps trying to sell the medical supplies. He experiences so many setbacks, and if you've watched that movie, so many times I just think, surely now he's going to give up. It's not an up and up journey. For a long time, it's down and nearly out on repeat. But Chris's heart is set on the big dream to become a broker.
and the rest will follow. And look, this is a spoiler alert, but it's a true story. He makes it in the end, okay? Red Ferrari and all. It's a great rags to riches story. And putting that part of it aside, what I want to say to you, Chris's story is actually a fantastic example. His dogged determination, his sometimes foolish choices, they're a great picture of what it looks like to have an undivided heart, to have singular focus. The goal for the follower of Jesus is not the red Ferrari. Do I need to say that? The goal is to love and serve God. And the good news, the blessing is that if we are like this, then we will see God. It's a future goal and promise that we will see God face to face, but it also happens now. As we persevere, we will see God at work in our lives and in the world, especially when the going gets tough. The New Testament writers often use the image of the Christian life um, as running a race. You know, throwing aside anything that hinders us, focus forward, persevering, even up Heartbreak Hill, in order to get to the finish line, in order to see God. Well, do you have a pure heart? <laughs> do we have pure hearts? It's hard. I'm going to say this is hard. There are so many calls on our lives, so many distractions, and so much pressure in our culture to make good in this world. In the last couple of weeks, a few people have told me they love, or last couple of weeks, last couple of years, people have told me they love listening to Tim Keller's sermons on podcast. Now, Keller was the modern master of diagnosing spiritual heart condition at saying our hearts are divided. Blessed are the pure in heart. Sermon after sermon, week after week, he pointed out the desires and fears that take root in our hearts and threaten to overtake the single focus of the Christian life, pure devotion and love of God. And this is what we need to do. We need to actually just keep looking, keep asking God to shine a light we need to keep seeing that our fears are telling us to make life safe and secure now, to avoid losing face or being alone. We need to look and see that our desires are whispering to us, you're going to be happier when you have more money, when you have a better house, when you have a higher status, respectability, that relationship, whatever it is. Our fears and desires drive us to build lives that are focused on making it good in this world. We might still like Jesus a lot, but I think we're always being tempted, and I speak, you know, about myself. We're always being tempted to think, I'm going to put my foot in this camp and this camp. It's, I'm going to hedge my bets. It's safer that way. But it's not safer that way. It's actually a dangerous move <laughs> because you run the risk of moving further and further into the desires that the world has for you. And eventually, God is over there, and it slipped away. Blessed are the pure in heart, because their singular focus means they can make life decisions based on the desire to serve God and see his kingdom of heaven grow and transform the world. 
You know, being pure of heart can look kind of boring to others because you're not always doing the exciting thing or making the exciting choice, getting the best job. It might look unambitious by world standards. It also might look risky and really stupid to some people sometimes, the choices that we make in order to love God and serve his people. But those whose hearts are being purified and keep stepping out in faith learn a deep joy because they know that they will see God. There's a great scene in the middle of that movie when Chris and his young son are in church, the church of the shelter they're staying in. It's Glide Memorial Church in San Francisco, which has a huge mercy ministry, mainly because when Chris made it, he gave back into the shelter. Anyway, they're in the church and the pews are filled with people who have come from the shelter, people who've been sleeping rough and life is just tough. And the beautiful Glide Gospel Choir starts singing the hymn by Mahalia Jackson called Lord, Don't Move That Mountain. And the words go, Lord, don't move the mountain. Give me strength to climb it. Please don't move that stumbling block, but lead me, Lord, around it. My burdens, they get so heavy. Seems hard to bear, but I won't give up. Oh, no, because you promised me you'd meet me at the altar of prayer. When I watched that scene, I've got to admit that I cringed at first when I heard that hymn. I thought, does that choir know what these people are going through? Why not sing, Lord, please move that mountain, give me a break? Surely you could do that. And I thought, is Chris, what's Chris going to do? Is he going to get up and walk out? And he did get up and he picked up his son and he started singing. And what are they saying? They're saying, Lord, help us to keep going. Strengthen us to persevere. Stay near me and I will stay near you. You promised I would see you. And not just on the last day, but even now, in the middle of all this hardship, at the altar of prayer. The thing that I want us to remember is that Jesus is no naive choir boy promising great things without understanding how tough it can be. Jesus talked the talk and then he walked the walk. With singular focus and for our sake, he set his eyes on Jerusalem and he went there and with purity of heart, he walked to the cross. And it's only because Jesus did that and with his help that we can follow There's another verse of that hymn that's not in the movie, and it goes like this. Lord, don't move that mountain. Just give me strength to climb, for if you should move each mountain, I might grow weaker every time. And just as you walked up, Jesus, and took the cross to Calvary's hill, Lord, don't move that mountain, so I may better do your will. I wonder if this is how we can be praying to I wonder if we can actually shift some of the way we think about life so that we're not constantly trying to avoid pain and trouble, but that we're prioritising, desiring to seek and serve and walk in the spirit with the Lord Jesus until the day we see him face to face. I just want to finish by saying something personal. I know many of you know that 
um, in the next week, my family is moving to the Merry Creek Vicarage here in Fairfield, which is very exciting for us. And my husband Rob and I have spent time reflecting on the past 12 years that we've been living now um, in the house that we're living, which is another vicarage of St John's West Brunswick. When we moved there, uh, we had four young kids and we were going through a really tough time, emotionally and financially. Our worldly security had been totally rocked, is how I would put it. And we were a bit lost. Except that we knew we really wanted to keep working in ministry in the inner city and with uni students. And I'm not saying that to say how great we were, but glory to God in that confusing time, he helped us to be united with a singular focus to keep going in Christ. Well, the story is one of St John's having mercy on us. We offered them pitiful rent for a pretty run-down house. And so we had a home to live in. And in the last 12 years, God has been showing us all kinds of things about our life that we would never have planned and about his kingdom. And as Rob and I look back, we remembered how we were in that tough time. We, in that time, fell easily into prayer. And our eyes were open. We were always seeing what God was doing around us. And I have, I'm sorry, Anne, I'm going Anne is here because Anne and we were in church in our house and it was a place with a lot of broken people, I've got to say, and we saw God do wonderful things, healing and restoring us. It was hard, but as we look back, we're thankful for the time, how it strengthened our faith and our prayer as we move into the beautifully prepared vicarage here, which we're so thankful for, is again of gratitude but honestly, the thing we realise we need to pray for is that we don't get too comfortable and that we don't put our foot in the other camp. And we want you to pray that for us too. And I want to pray it for you too now, that we will be pure of heart and able to run the race to the end. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, how great your plans are for us and for this world. We thank you for Jesus for his purity of heart and his mercy on us. I ask for each one of us that you would again strengthen us, strengthen our hearts to love and serve you above all else. And may we see your kingdom all around us and look forward to seeing you face to face. Amen.